Certainly, Jesus is the greatest gift, as we've been reminded over and over this morning in our songs and prayers. In this sermon, I hope it will be reaffirmed that he is the greatest gift. And we're not specifically studying the Christmas story, as the world calls it. Uh, we're looking at parts of it and trying to find some good applications, uh, trying to find some things that apply to our life very, very uh, importantly, they apply. Uh, we're probably getting more of the story and the, the theology and all of that of Christ's birth in our songs than we are in the sermons because we're just taking one piece of the story and then uh, trying to learn something from that. Our four topics that we've uh, set out to work on this month is a gift worth giving and a gift worth waiting for. We've covered those. Today we do a gift worth receiving and then next week a gift worth understanding. Today we work on a gift worth receiving and it's in the passage that Brother Brian just read for us. Um, this is a, a passage that I think is well known, as Brian said, for anybody who reads through the Gospels, uh, but I don't think it's preached on very often. It's a little different kind of story, kind of set aside. Uh, some of you may not even remember uh, Simeon and Anna. Uh, they're two very minor characters in the grand scheme of things. They're just mentioned here and nowhere else in the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at Simeon this morning a little more than uh, we've ever looked at him probably. And you heard the passage. Now let me just do a little pop quiz here, uh, see how many of you paid attention. Simeon is famous in the story of Jesus for uh, certain reasons, but let me see if you paid attention. Was he at the nativity with the shepherds? No, Simeon wasn't there. Did Simeon follow a star to find Jesus? No, he wasn't doing that either. Uh, did he go to Bethlehem to find Jesus? No, you guys are paying good attention. Doing well. Simeon hung around the temple. Okay, all the rest of the story of Jesus, except this little passage here, is in the manger and then going to Egypt and going back to Nazareth and in Bethlehem and, and all of that. This is one little slice we get that happens at the temple. And that's where Simeon hung out. Uh, why was he there? Well, the Holy Spirit told him. That was where he was supposed to be. And he knew that Jesus would show up. All the rest of the story of Jesus is other places. But for just a couple of days at the most, Jesus was at the temple. Now, that's our starting point. If our story all takes place at the temple, which it does, first question, why was Jesus there? I'll just lay a little background here, a little history here. Uh, why was Jesus at the temple for the two days, probably, that he was? Well, first reason, he was there to be circumcised and named. Two different things. I printed the whole passage of Luke 2, 21 through 33. And if you want to refer over there and follow along, we're going to read it all in pieces. Verse 21 says this, at the end of eight days. When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, named the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
All right. At the end of eight days, that was no accident. That was mandatory, actually. Uh, Genesis 17:12. I also put that on your handout for you. God said long ago to his people, seventh chapter of Genesis, he said, He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man-child in your generations. Yeah, that was so important uh, that the Jews would even do it on Saturday. If they were counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight came on Saturday, they still did a circumcision. Uh, they didn't like to do anything on the Sabbath, but this, if God said the eighth day, they did it. Now, it was for the purpose of health, we believe, and also it was a symbol that that boy was now a one of God's children. Uh, John, on the eighth day, for hundreds of years, nobody knew why God picked the eighth day. Uh, then one day, scientists were experimenting and testing blood clotting and all sorts of things, and they discovered that a baby's blood clots the absolute best on day eight. Uh, Sure lucky God picked that one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he, he knows stuff like that because he invented us. And we just figure it out a few centuries later. But eighth day, that's when you get circumcision if you were a, a young boy. And on top of that, not only did you get circumcised, on day eight you got named. Now, we do that in the hospital generally. We, we fill out the birth certificate fairly early there and say, this baby is going to be called so-and-so. We may decide it um, months ago, but that's when we officially write it down and all that. They did it on the eighth day. They knew his name was going to be Jesus. That's what Gabriel had said. But the official naming ceremony came on day eight along with the circumcision. So he was there for that. Now, that had to happen on the eighth day. They had to make the trip from Bethlehem up to the temple on day 8. Now, second reason he was there was to be redeemed as the firstborn. Uh, go up to verse 22 in our passage. It says, when the time came for their purification, and we'll get to that in just a second, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. All right, now here's what was going on. Go back to the old law, Exodus chapter 13. I put it on there for you, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. All the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Right, here's a lesson that sometimes we don't think about very often, but God told the Israelites, said, when you have your first child or your animals have their first baby, that's mine. It belongs to me. And that taught them to think that this isn't really mine. This belongs to God. Now, I'm in charge of this child or of this animal. I get to be a steward of him. And God's going to let me do that, but it, he really belongs to God. And so there arose around that a ceremony where you had to go to the priest 
and buy back the child. You had to redeem him. That didn't cost much. It was just a token kind of symbol almost. But if you had to travel to a priest and say, here's my firstborn, and I know it's God's, but here's a symbol, a payment, I buy him back, I'll take care of him for God. Lots of pictures like that in the Old Testament. Well, that's what Joseph and Mary were doing with Jesus. And they were doing it at least a month after he was born. So this is a different trip than the eight-day trip. Uh, The Old Testament says you couldn't do this before the 31st day. had to be at least a month old, and you had to give an offering. It was a small one. It was symbolic, but you would buy the child back for your family. So they took Jesus up to redeem him as the firstborn. Third reason they were there, the purification of Mary. When a, uh, a woman had a child, she was symbolically unclean for a period of time. And you had to go see the priest and arrange for her purification. Let's read about that in verse 24 of our passage. It says, uh, go back up now, it was talking about every male who first opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord. And then verse 24 says, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, so they came to also offer the sacrifice. Sacrifice was not for Jesus. They, paid, they circumcised him on day eight. They named him on day eight. They redeemed him as the firstborn sometime after day 31. And they probably combined that with this trip of the purification of Mary. It was, well, not probably, it says they were there for their purifications. And that had to happen uh, 40 days after giving birth. So they probably made a trip when he was eight. They made a trip when he was 40 days. They redeemed him. They also paid for the purification of Mary with a burnt offering and a sin offering. Go back to Leviticus. I placed that on there for you. Verse, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. 40 days is the time. Parents were supposed to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove and a pigeon for a sin offering. Unless they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford a lamb. Then they could bring another turtle dove and another pigeon. Two doves and two pigeons. Okay. If you're in Jerusalem, you see a young couple with a baby, brand new baby, looks about 40 days old, and four birds with them. What do you know? Those folks are poor. They don't have any money. They're going to make their sacrifice to purify the woman after this birth, and they are not rich. So that's what we got going on here. Now, we've got some background. We know why all this was taking place. Let's see if we can find a lesson in here, a couple lessons probably uh, from our friend Simeon. It's a simple story. The story is that the gift of Jesus is worth receiving. Let's see if we can find that. Second question, why was Simeon there? We know why Jesus and his family were there. Now, why was Simeon there? Okay, Reason number one, 
He was looking for Jesus. Our passage tells us that's what he was doing. How long he had been looking, I don't know. He was an old man, portrayed as an old man. Don't know how old. Like I said, the only place he's mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if he started looking when he was 13 years old and became an adult in the religion or when he started looking. But he was still looking. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Another word for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Let's stop right there for a moment. We'll finish that sentence in a moment. Simeon was looking for Jesus. The Bible say anything about that? If you seek, you'll find. God said, I'm looking for people who are seeking me. You seek me, you'll find me. Seek and you'll find. Simeon understood that principle. He was there looking, seeking Jesus. Now, compare that to all the other people we can think of in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. How many people that day were looking for Jesus? Simeon, as far as we knew, no. We'll find out later Anna was also. But everybody else that we read about in this story... Wasn't looking for Jesus. Uh, the fellow in Bethlehem who had Jesus in his backyard, was he looking for Jesus? He was way too busy. He had to take care of the inn. It was full. <laughs> he was busy with the things of the day. Business was good. Things were rolling with the census. He was preoccupied. He didn't have time to look. For some Savior. Think of all the people that they just weren't expecting Jesus. They knew nothing about him. They weren't paying any attention. On and on we can think of all these reasons why nobody else was hanging around the temple looking for newborn babies. Too busy, too preoccupied, not expecting it. Too busy with life and business. Yet Simeon was. For 400 years, there had been no prophecies. God hadn't spoken for 400 years. But at some point in Simeon's life, the Holy Spirit said, uh, The Messiah, the one you've been reading about, the one you've been hoping would come in your lifetime, he's coming. You're not going to die before you see him. So Simeon was looking. I know he had some inside information, but he he was looking for Jesus. So with the right attitude, I'm going to see Jesus someday. He went to the right place. He knew he had to come to the temple. He went there to watch. I don't know how many consecutive days he was there watching. But he knew enough from the prophecies that that was where he had to be. He knew that the Messiah was coming, not just a baby. 
And not just a 40-day-old baby. Although 40-day-old babies are pretty cool. They're, they're fun to see and hold and all, and all of that. But this was the Messiah. This was the consolation of Israel. The desire of Israel, I think we just say. This was the one who was going to save us all. Save all of Israel, and Simeon even knew about the Gentiles in his prayer there. People come in here every week looking for something. Come in here on Sunday. Come in here on Wednesday. Come in here on Thursday. Looking for something. They need something in their life. They know it's not quite right somehow. They're looking for something that they don't have. Their life might be a mess. Or it may look pretty successful and smooth as silk on the outside. But they know something about the Messiah. They know something about God. They know something about salvation. They know something about eternity. And they come here looking for answers. Simeon knew some things. So he went to the temple every day looking for the answer. So that was the first reason he was there. The second reason he was there was he personally saw salvation. I don't know how much of this he understood, but it says, he says, that's what I've done. I have personally now seen your salvation. Let's read about it in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem, we're going to reread some of it, whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that's where we stopped before, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see this scene? Simeon had known a lot about Jesus. Everything the old prophets told about the Messiah and where he would be born and what he would do and on and on and how he would suffer, he understood all of that because he had read the prophecies. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus. You can't hardly live in this country without knowing quite a bit about Jesus. And Simeon knew a lot about Jesus. And now he had him. He had him right here in his hands. He had him right here next to his heart. And he could say, this, this is the salvation of the Lord. This is who he sent. I love this picture, and I don't know how clear it is to you on the screen, but Simeon seems to be shouting or crying and shouting praises to the God. I think that's what you do. 
if you knew all about Jesus, that the prophets told and the little that you knew was quite a bit, and then you had him personally in front of you. Now, maybe he's singing, I don't know. He could have sung a whole lot of songs. <laughs> he could have sung almost every song we've sung this morning. Fairest Lord Jesus, gentle shepherd, beautiful lamb, go tell it on the mountain. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Because he had Emmanuel in his hands. God was with us. The one we're going to sing in just a moment. He could have sung it that day. Because he lives. Because he lives. I live. What a moment for Simeon. I, I have trouble imagining how the old man must have been. We have a clue because of the next reason that he was at the temple. Number three, he wanted to be ready to die. And now he was. And now he was. Did you catch verse 29? Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You ever hear anybody say something like that? I've seen it all now. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to die. Well, that's what Simeon said. He said, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been looking for. I've got him right here, and now you're going to let me die in peace. According to your word, I've seen your salvation. All right, we know why Jesus was the temple. We know why Simeon was at the temple. Third question. Why are you here? Why are you here? I told you we were just going to look at a little piece of the story and then draw some application. Why are you here? I can guess a few reasons. I know there's a lot of earthly reasons. I mean, it's the holidays. Some of you are in town for the holidays. And so you come with your family. You know, don't necessarily want to, but mom and grandma maybe like it when you come. So you come and you sit on their row with them and you watch them smile and make them happy and that's why you're here. I understand that. I know there's earthly reasons, but I'm talking spiritual reasons. Let's go through some of the spiritual reasons. Uh, first, it's possible that you're not looking. I understand that. There's a lot of earthly reasons to be here and no spiritual reason, perhaps. Maybe you're not looking. You're, you're just here for an earthly reason. you got no interest in Jesus. You see no need. You're in that point in life when you're too busy. you got higher priorities. Business is good. You're preoccupied. Uh, innkeeper kind of reasons. Well, if you're here and you're not looking, all I can say is we hope you get interested sometime. We hope something happens to, to cause you to start looking for Jesus because that's where it starts. 
Secondly, you may be looking. You may have heard of things about this Jesus. You may have friends that tell you that he means something in their life. And so you've come to check this Jesus thing out. You come to where his people, they call themselves, meet every week. And you come to see what this is all about. Now, if you've got the conception that a lot of people in the world have that we come here because we think we've got it all together and we're perfect and we come to celebrate that every week, well, you've got a misconception. It, to be real honest with you, we're a mess. You know, most, most everybody here is a mess of one sort or another. But, but we come here because we know that. Well, we come here because we figured that out, that we can't do it by ourselves. We come because we know that we need each other. We need to come study the Word as often as we can to be built up by it. We need to be with fellow Christians to be motivated and encouraged. So that's why we come here. But if you're here looking for Jesus, well, we're glad you are. You know, ask us. You know, we won't brag about us, but we'll brag about our friend. We got a really good friend that makes life possible when you're a mess. So, so if you're here and looking, we're thrilled. You ask us something about it. Third reason some people are here is because they've seen salvation. Simon, Simeon personally saw salvation. Now, in the sense, what he saw was the salvation. He saw the one who would make salvation possible, and he called it, this is salvation. Today, when we say we've seen salvation, we mean it just a little bit differently. It's not just that we're holding Jesus in front of us, or not just that we've received Jesus, some people call it sometimes. But we mean that we, we personally have understood who Jesus is, We've personally trusted Jesus to handle our sins for us. We want what he offers in life and for eternity. We, we repent of the kind of life we were living. We confess that he is the one that can help us, and, and we obey him in baptism. That's when the Bible says salvation happens. And many of us in this room have seen salvation in that way, and so we come to worship him. We, we seek to walk worthy, that's what we've been talking all year about, because we've seen salvation. And we're in that life now where we're trying to become more and more like Him. We aren't like Him. We've got problems, but we want to be more like Him. But we've, we're confident in our salvation. And there's a lot of people here like that. Fourth, there's some people here, and you've come because you're ready to die. Now you say, hold it, Steve, that's the same as the last point. <laughs> if you've been saved, you've seen salvation, then you're ready to die. Well, maybe not. You know, there are some folks who see salvation, 
And then they let the world get a hold of them. They let the world draw them away from the Lord. Remember, we talked just a few weeks ago about, about how sin gets between us and the Lord. It affects our worship. We may, we may come and sit in this room, but worshiping's hard because we've got that sin problem in between us, and we're not doing a good job of it. It's not acceptable worship. When we let that sin get in our lives, it messes up relationships. Maybe the one you're sitting by, the, the relationship's not good because sin has got in between there. When we get too much sin back in there, we start to let things go undone that we know we ought to do. We know better. We know better, but it's just the flesh that gets control of it. I had a funeral this week. It was a pleasure. It was a joy. It was an honor. Because Sister Phyllis was ready to die. In fact, someone said to me at the funeral, they hadn't thought it completely through, obviously. They said, so this is your last funeral. I said, well, I hope not. You know, there's a whole lot of old timers here. i got to get buried yet. At least I hope they go before I do. You know, they've been around 30 or 40 years longer than me already. He was talking, of course, about our repurposing and a little change. And in that sense, yes, it's probably the last one of the year, although that's not a guarantee. There will come a time when I go to my last funeral. I won't be aware of it because it'll be mine. But I plan to be ready. William Culbertson, the... President of Moody Bible Institute, after he had passed away, they looked through his desk and found this poem. It said, Lord, when thou seest that my work is done, let me not linger with ailing powers down the weary hours, a workless, workless worker in a world of work. But with a word, just bid me home, and I will right gladly come. Yes, right gladly will I come. I tell you, there's a difference, folks. I've done enough funerals to guarantee you there's a difference between somebody who is ready and someone who's not. You can't tell the difference in the casket. They all pretty much look the same in the casket. You can't look in there and tell, this one looks ready and this one doesn't. But you can look on the first couple of rows and tell. You can look on the first row or two at the family. There's a difference. Sometimes when I see that family there, I don't know why anyone, yeah, it perplexes me, why anyone who knows about Jesus and who knows what obedience is about has been taught all about that would continue to put it off and do that to their family. I don't know why. The gift of salvation is really, really worth receiving. It makes a difference forever, not just in this world, for eternity. Next week we're going to finish with a gift worth understanding.
Today is the fullness of time for some of you. Let me ask you this one question and we'll stand and sing. Fifteen minutes from now, will you be able to say what Simeon said? Will you be able to say, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. If you can't say that now, you can in 15 minutes. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.